Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. So, uh, hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to another episode of The Video Insiders. I'm uh, very happy to say hello to my co-host, Mark Donegan. Hi, Mark. Well, hello, Drawer. It's always good to be on the microphone. And here we are. Yeah, here we are with another episode of the Video Insiders. And uh, this time we have a very, very special episode. We have a very uh, large panel of Video Insiders this time. This is like four episodes in one, if you think about it. Yeah, four episodes in one. Usually we have a video insider and we interview uh, that insider. We interview one person and today we have four. And each and every one of these people uh, is a true video insider with a lot of experience in the video in industry in various aspects. And it's kind of a panel, right, uh, Mark? It's like a, a panel that you have on a trade show, but we don't have any trade shows now. This is a virtual panel via podcast. Exactly, exactly. And uh, today on this panel, we're going to uh, discuss where we are with the adoption of HEVC in the market. It's been a while since uh, the codec was um, introduced and it did have its... Uh, Fits and starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But now it seems to be, you know, really on a, on a good track and uh, getting uh, a good acceptance and pickup. And we'll find out exactly how much and where and uh, what use cases and etc. cetera. So uh, let's uh, let them introduce themselves. So uh, let's start with Thierry. Yes, uh, hello everybody. I'm Thierry Fautier from Harmonic. I'm Vice President of Video Strategy at Harmonic. Okay, Thierry, thank you. Welcome. And uh, Ben? Hi, I'm Ben Misander. I'm VP of Engineering at Wowza Media Systems. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the Video Insiders. Uh, Walid? Hi, Drew. Um, it's Walid Hamri. I'm the Chief Product Officer at SeaChange. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure. Uh, Wade, please introduce yourself. Hi, Drew. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Wade Wan. Um, I work for Broadcom. I'm responsible for the technical video roadmap for uh, Set-Top Box. Uh, awesome. And welcome to the podcast. So uh, as you see, we have uh, a really uh, great panel with us today. And all of them are uh, actively pursuing uh, HEVC roadmaps and, um, and deployments. So I think it would be best to start with your personal perspective on the HEVC market. I'm sure each one of you have their own viewpoint uh, because you're offering products and services uh, with HEVC uh, right now. So tell us a bit about what your company is doing with HEVC. To what extent do the products and services that you offer support HEVC? And if you can say um, how many of your customers are using the HEVC capability uh, that you are offering. Wade, maybe you want to start? Uh, sure, I can start. Um, yeah, in terms of from, from, from our perspective, so, you know, broad, for those who are not familiar, Broadcom, um, leading provider of video technology for the operator market. Um, and, you know, we're constantly trying to provide operators the, you know, the latest, most optimal, relevant video technologies for their networks. Um, we were one of the first set-top box SOC vendors to kind of do demonstrate hardware 4K HEVC decoding. Um, so since after that, for example, you know, we've been actively working with, you know, different partners in the ecosystem on interoperability, overall end-to-end -end delivery, 
um, to kind of to enable HEVC, um, you know, for the operators. Um, so ultimately, for example, you know, operators and the customers will they'll, they'll determine if and when you know the HEVC services are deployed. Uh, but all our current platforms uh, support HEVC decoding, and you know we see the vast majority of uh, projects and operators requesting HEVC is really a baseline requirement now. So this is um, you know matured from when it first got developed, and we really see this as uh, you know gaining a strong foothold. So actually, you you put it in. Um in the chips and the chips go into a device, uh, but then you don't actually know which one of those uh, devices in the field are HEVC enabled and whether the, the customers, the service providers who are offering those set-up boxes to their users are actually sending content in HEVC or in other formats. I mean, for each operator, I mean, it's a, you know, each service provider has their own calculations and their decision criteria. Um, and uh, what you described is correct. And we enable them and, you know, they have to decide given a, you know, a certain footprint in terms of, you know, when they, when they actually turn on. From our perspective, for example, all our devices are enabled and ready to go. And it's a matter of, you know, the operators determining the balance between the legacy devices and, you know, let's say newer, newer devices. So one of the one of the things that's interesting about that is um, codec codec adoption um, is is very critical in devices and uh, right now you know the whole purpose of this discussion is to do you know kind of a real world survey of sorts of where we're at and uh, you at Broadcom of course enable playback in a lot of devices a lot of different use cases a lot of different applications. What kind of decision matrix do you go through to decide what codecs get adopted in silicon? Are you just always adding the latest and the greatest, you know, in your newest chips and to be competitive or are there other considerations? What does that look like? I mean, there, there, there is a balance, right? I mean, certainly, for example, Broadcom is known as, you know, leading technologies moving forward. And, you know, we participate in, you know, in MPEG and other groups and follow all the standards, you know, development. We do, for example, have a lot of discussions, not just, for example, like adding the latest and greatest and keep on adding them, but we really look at what really makes sense for our customers and then the operators. And, you know, for example, when HEVC was being developed, um, you know, my company really, I led the participation in the standards group and we, you know, made a lot of contributions, influenced the development. It was very clear that, for example, you know, there's a very interesting codec in terms of its performance and capabilities. Um, and you see services like 4K and HDR. So a lot of those, you know, combined with the interest, you know, the, those kind of determine what gets added in kind of moving forward. And um, yeah, there's been, you know, a little bit of a delay in the kind of its adoption, but for us, it was very clear that this was a way to provide services like 4K and HDR. Uh, you know, for 4K, you need the compression efficiency, HDR, you need the 10 bits. And that, that was definitely a clear um, you know, distinguishing factor uh, from this codec compared to like, let's say AVC, right? Where you don't have as much 10 bit support out there. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, it strikes me that MPEG-2 uh, was the codec for standard definition, digital transmission, and then H.264, AVC enabled HD, and then um, HEVC enabled 4K. And it's sort of interesting to me, we're not talking about other codecs, but you know, what's next? I mean, because it's not that another codec suddenly enables 8K because you can do 8K quite uh, well, you know, with HEVC. Uh, Thierry, maybe you can tell us about about your customers who are using HEVC, do you see more and more of your customers using HEVC? Is it a majority now, 
or still most of them are AVC and, and using HEVC just for, let's say, for 4K or, or HDR? Uh, maybe I will start with a, a blog we have posted in July, which was HEVC Market Perspective Broadcast and Streaming, which is actually looking at from a non-analyst perspective at what we believe is the HEVC penetration. And from the device perspective, we think we are close to 50% of devices, connected devices are HEVC capable, which is a quite a high number. Obviously, a lot is coming from mobile devices. Top box, of course, is important and connected TVs. You know that PC is still a challenge with a web browser deciding not to support HEVC for patent and licensing issues. Then we have a second number, which is uh, how many OTT service providers have deployed HEVC. And we made a study, I think two years ago, together with Streaming Media, and we came down to 25% of OTT services today support HEVC. And it's not only UHD. I think there are some HD services who are supporting HEVC. And the last number was, what is the overall subscriber base using HEVC? And based on our model, we think it's around 13% of services in the world support HEVC. Obviously, you know that there are still a lot of SD services. HD is obviously the, the one which is growing the fastest. And UHD is still small, mostly streaming VOD today. So th those are the market data. Uh, our customers in general, I think on OTT, they are interested to go for HEVC because they see the bandwidth reduction on the OTT streaming. And as you know, uh, Mark and Draw, uh, the content-aware encoding was a good replacement of HEVC on AVC existing infrastructure. And you see operators deciding to stay with AVC with content-aware encoding to come very close to HEVC efficiency. On our side, we see HEVC still uh, not fully deployed because there is a gap between the number of enabled devices and the really streamed services to those devices. So there is still a gap. And I believe uh, this will be something uh, we will discuss later on, why HEVC is not more successful. Yeah, I see. Um, ben, what is your take on... Um on HEVC. Do you see an uptake, uh, an, an increase this year, or uh, is it pretty much flat? Um, pretty much flat. So, you know, we have a lot of video use cases that we satisfy that are not media and entertainment. And so in this case, uh, many times our customers don't have any choice about what the playback device might be. With that being said, as a result, we kind of see very little customer usage of HEVC because, um, you know, device support isn't there for, quote, all, end quote, devices. Um, you know, HEVC uptake is undeniably less than AVC at this point. And then it appears that the cost and complexity of transcoding twice, so you could do HEVC for HEVC compatible devices and AVC for those that aren't, um, doesn't appear to be economical because egress bandwidth at CDNs and stuff has been rapidly decreasing in cost. So I think many of our customers find that uh, HEVC doesn't give them broad enough um, device support at this time. So they will only switch um, when all of their devices can support HEVC so they can encode only once? Or perhaps uh, if the economics of encoding and egress bandwidth change such that it's uh, you know financially worthwhile thing to do. 
What about markets outside the U.S., Ben, um, where it seems like bandwidth still is something um, that people have to be concerned about, bandwidth costs, that is. Uh, are Do you have exposure to other geographies where the economics may be beneficial? Yeah, so that that's, that's an excellent point. Um, we are, you know, we do have customers worldwide. We have about one-third of our business in the U.S., one-third in Europe, and one-third in Asia. And certainly, you know, in places like India and stuff, uh, CDN egress is more expensive. But there you have to look at the market penetration of HEVC-compatible handsets in those geographies as well. And, you know, there's a lot of inexpensive Android handsets that, you know, can only do baseline H.264. So it's kind of a combination of factors that conspire against wide adoption at this point among our customer base. Mm -hmm. And uh, Walid, what, what are you seeing uh, in terms of C-Change customers? Um, are you seeing HEVC uptake or requirements for HEVC? And if so, is it for 4K or for reducing bandwidth in, uh, in limited uh, bandwidth uh, deployments? Actually, I would say like it's uh, the equation, we take the equation slightly differently because we make a clear distinction between the OTT devices when we're only targeting actually new devices and outside the legacy setup box. And I'm not even going into the contribution fees, which as we know, I mean, HEVC is also being used from time to time on contribution when we have an even interlaced we don't need to forget it. It's still technically supporting HEVC, and some people are still using it for contribution. But if we want to split this market, the contribution HEVC, we never saw any uptake. I mean, there was basically mainly dedicated for, for UHD. And the interlaced HEVC, and Cherry can probably back me up on that, what actually was a good story at the beginning to get HEVC, even a 1080i regular events from the stadium back to, to, the, to the content providers, we never seen a really uptake on that side. The setup boxes, for me at least, is what actually hold in the HEVC penetration. The new devices and the new project for the TV delivery, and that's I'm backing up Thierry on this one, actually we see pretty good market penetration. And the 25% that Thierry was mentioning, it's pretty high when actually look at all the devices that are out there. So bottom line, we see actually that HEVC for the OTT world, and basically when we offer an OTT services, we bring your own device and we don't have to deal with legacy setup boxes. That's actually where we see actually HEVC doing a great penetration. Mm -hmm. So in greenfield deployments, uh, service providers will supply HEVC setup boxes um, to their customers? Looking at the new business, all the virtual MVPDs and the content providers and all the OTT services in general, not necessarily MVPDs, there is not a lot of setup boxes to be provided. You can go with business model with bring your own device and you have the Apple TV, you have the Android TV, you have actually all the smart TVs directly. So for the pure OTT workflow, when you don't have actually the, to provide a setup box, HEVC is pretty much there. So is that sort of like the, um, you know, you talk about these new services uh, it, I, and one comes to mind like Moby TV. Is that sort of what you're thinking of where, you know, they're offering to sort of like the tier two, tier three 
cable operators, OTT services. And I think it's largely either bring your own device or it's around like an Android set top box. Is, is that the kind of service you're talking about? Or are you talking about literal like virtual MVPDs, you know, like Sling TV or something? So both, technically. And I mean, let's not only focus on MVPDs. Movie TVs, they're doing their business where they can provide setup boxes or not, etc. But I'm looking at where the market is going, which is, especially me at home, I don't have any setup box at home. And I have pretty much all my buckets already customized for me coming directly at direct-to-consumer. I have my, I'm not sure if we're allowed to say names, but I have my ESPN package, I have my Netflix package, I have my Fox package. And, and personally, a more FUBU TV or basically Sling or YouTube Live uh, guy. But regardless, I'm saying just like, um, I think the HEVC penetration market is slightly correlated to the fact that more and more users don't necessarily need a setup box. MPEG2 is mainly still there because we have a large setup boxes that can, they have an amazing life period for 20 years or 25 years set up box is still there. I, I can challenge anyone that can still show me a phone that's 20 years old that we need to keep supporting for the OTT service. Yeah, yeah here's, here's my Nokia portable uh, phone, my N95. I'm having trouble, you know, getting FUBU TV on my N Nokia N95. Uh, Symbian uh, is not a supported OS uh, by FUBU. I'm very sad about that. Drawer, <laughs> I've been trying to get you to upgrade for a while. Yeah, you know, but, uh, but I don't I'm, know. I'm comfortable with my 2.5 G. Um, it has less radiation and uh, <laughs> less complexity. Um, so we, we all know HEVC has higher compression efficiency than AVC, and you can get the same quality streams at 30, 40, 50 percent lower bitrate, depending on the content and the initial adoption of HEVC was indeed for 4K TVs. As Mark said, you know, it was AVC for, uh, uh, for HD to enable HD and then HEVC to enable 4K uh, because 4K and AVC was just beyond the, the available streaming bandwidth for most users. But then if you, you have your regular HD content, uh, then you have two options. You can either reduce the bitrate of your streams or encode at the same bitrate that you did before, the same one you used for AVC, and then get a quality benefit. So I'm wondering um, if you can give us your opinion on what is the main driver for the migration to HEVC. Is it uh, to reduce bandwidth or is it to improve quality? Or do you think um, um, the users will kind of uh, uh, tune it somewhere in between so you save some bandwidth and yet at the same time improve quality. Uh, where do you think we stand on um, the motivation for using HEVC? So obviously HEVC went started in 2013 as an MPEG standard. A lot of people were looking at it for UHD and as Wade mentioned UHD equals uh, uh, 10 bits uh, white color gamut HDR so for this you need a new codec and therefore HEVC was the natural choice. So here it's uh, both bitrate reduction because of 4K is a lot of bits so just for you to know uh, one number during the World Cup with people were encoding at 25 megabits UHD with HDR, which is quite high. And the second uh, segment is more the HD one. 
And here operators, let's say mobile operators would like to stream uh, 100 channels are looking at reduction of the bandwidth. And if the phone is capable of supporting HEVC, obviously the mobile uh, bandwidth is quite high. For those living in the US, you have this infamous zero rating mechanism, which is basically letting mobile operator to cap the bitrate at 1.5 megabits per second. And in that case, with AVC, is going to be um, SD resolution. So the goal is to bring as high quality as possible using the best tools that we have. Therefore, if we use HEVC, uh, at 720p30, we can definitely improve the resolution and fit into this 1.5 megabits per second that you are doing today with ABC. So really, we need to look at the two different market segments, UHD and HD, very different animals. And I think uh, quality is always there, but bandwidth is very often the king in terms of business models. You bring up a really good point, Terry, and and that is, and, and I believe the market has shifted on this view, but I still think that HEVC, there's a lot in a lot of people's minds, HEVC equals 4K. And if I'm not transmitting 4K, then I have no need for HEVC, you know? And, and what you just said is, is that yes, of course, HEVC is the enabler, for UHD services, you know, 4K resolution, et cetera. Um, but there is a very, very real tangible and a consumer benefit to being able to take that 1.5 megabit stream and rather than that be 480p, have that be 720p or possibly even 1080p with HEVC. Right. Um, Wade, what, what is your view on this? Bandwidth reduction or better quality? Yeah, I think. I think it tend to be bandwidth reduction for an existing service. I think, as uh, Terry said, I mean, there's a you know you distinguish between if you're doing a new service, obviously like 4K and HDR, then you need you know the benefits of HEVC. Um, but for something that you're already delivering today, like an HD service, um, typically, for example, it's already a high enough quality. Otherwise, people would you know not be paying for it. It wouldn't be a commercial service. Um, so then it becomes, from from my perspective, then it becomes kind of balancing the reduction in bandwidth and, you know, the cost of deployment and the other things that we that we spoke about, um, rather than necessarily improving the quality of the service. I see. Okay. Uh, ben, what do you think? So the customers of ours that I see adopt HEVC are, are, are really doing it for the codec features, uh, 4K, 8K, uh, HDR, high bit depths. Um, AVC, of course, simply doesn't enough, offer enough compression and the right features to make streaming those kinds of streams practical. Um, we, you know, to my knowledge, I, I don't believe I can recall a case where we had a customer come to us and say, I want to switch from AVC to HEVC for reasons of quality. And, and I think um, one of the reasons for that is that uh, bandwidth reduction is very tangible, it's very measurable and has a very direct economic effect. If you talk about uh, bandwidth costs, sometimes even uh, storage costs, and also you know fitting within available bandwidth uh, to the user. But when you talk about quality improvement, that's when things uh, become kind of shaky. You know, it's it's subjective. Um, will users notice, or will they, or maybe they won't notice? Um, 
you know, and, and I think users are more sensitive to things like um, buffering and, uh, and start times uh, than to actual video quality. So what happens is when you use HEVC to reduce bandwidth, you're actually improving the user experience. Uh, even if you have now the same quality as you did with the AVC stream, now it has less bits. So it starts faster and you have less buffering. And overall, the quality of experience is improved even if the actual video quality of the stream itself is not improved. Any um, comments? Uh, Walid, do you have something to add? Yes, I usually call it better instead of choosing between quality and bitrate. I usually call it give me the better ROI, which is if a customer is moving from AVC on HEVC, it has to be economically viable. What I'm saying is, and that's what Sitchin is also helping, is we can help actually design the platform in a way that we're not wasting bits. And it's not only about the streaming, there is also when you do NPVR, there is actually the storage, there is the CDN, there is the cost of transcode. So the bottom line is when we look at the end of devices, even if it's the same video quality, you would say, someone that only have one meg or 1.5, that was the example Cherry was saying, He's now watching full HD or 720p, for example, even if it's 30, 720p 30, which is a way better user experience. It's good, but actually what I'm telling here in terms of dollars is one guy that only have 1.5 meg leaving home and going to work will probably not subscribe to a service if he can only have a 140p or 240p. This is not good enough for him to watch actually whatever news, morning news, where he's on the bus or subway, whatever he's doing. So moving it to HEVC, that's an extra user, that's a new market that you're addressing. People that are waiting on the bus station watching their phone, without HEVC with their current plan, they might be just trying to get something on YouTube because you're not offering them actually a good alternative with HEVC. So I'm always trying to look also at the return investment that basically moving to HVC will have, which is yes, the CDN, the cost of infrastructure is one thing, but also a new revenue stream. Yeah, I think that's a it's a fabulous way to look at it, and um, I certainly agree and and have had those same conversations many 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 times. Um, I feel like all too often. It's easy to sort of default to, hey, at the end of the day, our customers think what we're doing today is just fine, and we're going to kind of keep doing that, <laughs> you know? And the reality is, yes, but there is the, you know, what you're pointing out, Waleed, is that there is the, the new market that opens up. That is people who currently do not subscribe because it's not good enough for them, you know? So that's A. B is, is that as other uh, services come to market and as they're using more advanced codecs like HEVC, the consumer will eventually get exposed to that and will say, wow, how come, you know, your video looks so awesome and mine doesn't, you know, oh, well, I'm using whatever, you know, and, and, and then they will switch. And so I think it's really, really important um, to talk about the new business or the, you know, the uh, ability that by continuing to innovate on the the video side, uh, we're talking about Codex today. We're talking specifically about HEVC, but that this um, this has real tangible business uh, benefit to it. You know that it, that it's that it's real. Now, again, you know, I suppose depending on the market you're in. 
Maybe it can be a little fuzzy. Maybe it, it it's not an immediate payoff. Um, but an investment over time, you know, clearly we can look at services like Netflix that, you know, um, they, they didn't become Netflix and build their tremendous video encoding capability overnight. They did that over 10 years. Right. But yet today, here they are, you know, um, certainly the gold standard. Yeah, uh, definitely. And now I see, Mark, you are uh, holding a leash. Yes. And uh, with this leash, you are pulling in a huge animal into our studio. <laughs> I am. I am. It's called an elephant. <laughs> so everybody understands the benefits of HEVC. So, you know, that's why we're really, you know, there's we're not having any uh, questions or conversation about that. The market knows. Everybody understands HEVC is a tremendous codec. Very, very good codec very efficient. It's been very well developed by now. So we know that. However, um, we know that you also have to pay for advanced technologies. And, you know, that's in the form of royalties and and licensing. And, And that's how all technology is. It's not just in video. And generally speaking, there's IP considerations that we all have to consider. And unfortunately, HEVC uh, stumbled out of the gate. (laughs) <laughs> that's putting it mildly yeah i mean it's okay to pay but but when you need to pay you want to know how much and that was not really clear in the beginning yeah exactly exactly so you know what what i'd like to hear from each of you are um your perspectives what you're hearing now because the situation has changed a lot from when there was the netflix tax which was just absolutely crazy uh, and, you know, they were trying to get, what was it, 2.5% of top-line revenue or something just absolutely yeah, crazy. Of, of any revenue. And this means that if Amazon was using a video to sell a product, they would get 2.5% of the product price, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. But that's been, you know, that's been gone for years now. I mean, yeah, and, and, yeah. and now, in fact, and, and I still occasionally come across someone who is not aware that for digitally delivered content, there is no royalty. Now, you know, we can talk about Velos, you know, and, and that. So, uh, Thierry, you know, where are we at? What are you hearing? What's the what's the view? Are people still scared of HEVC because of IP? Are they, um, you know, do they now have an understanding of what their, their obligations are and they're willing to move forward? Or are we still stuck? So I will try to be the reporter, independent reporter of the situation. So people are aware of the HEVC situation, although I would say MPEGLA is clear, HEVC advance is clear, and I think personally getting more momentum, more companies. Velos, still not public statement of their licensing term. You need to sign an NDA with them. People do not really like that. So some operators are scared and they are willing to pay they are not willing to pay for uncertainty. So therefore, they do HEVC deployment for 4K because they have no choice. But I know many operators not willing to take the risk for HD, also because there is a big volume of devices supporting HD in their network. So I would say today, operators are a bit frustrated. The big, big ones are ready to take the risk because they have armies of lawyers. I would say the smaller one are trying to skip HEVC for HD. I would say this is the situation uh, today. Moving forward, as you know, there is AV1, 
we're taking a big chunk of the streaming SVOD market. And I think this will drive more device to support AV1. And therefore, HEVC will have some competition eventually in the coming years. So maybe the HEVC licensors will be a bit more reasonable. And this is why uh, when we talk next generation codec, we need to be very aware not to get excited only by the technology and the so-called friend terms, but really have licensing terms on the table before we start to design a new system. Right. And I think uh, actually uh, a lot of the changes and modifications that have happened to uh, HEVC royalty rates uh, were done because of AV1 and the development of this alternative open source uh, codec. And uh, those patent pools said, okay, we need to be more reasonable. Otherwise, you know, there is an alternative emerging uh, that might uh, be a threat. And we've already discussed it in one of our earliest uh, podcast episodes is that, uh, you know, one of the great things that AV1 has done is uh, reduce and put caps and uh, put a more mini- meaningful uh, uh, business model to all of the uh, issue of HEVC royalties. And as you know, Ro, uh, AV1 also is now being hunted by CISVEL to collect some money. So... I would say in English, the fat lady has not sung yet. Yeah, so uh, some uncertainties with AV1 royalties uh, as well. There is uh, uh, CISVEL and their patent claims and uh, certainly put some, uh, some more mess into, uh, into the situation. Ben, do you want to uh, comment on this? Sure, yeah. Um, of course, HEVC licensing and patents are a huge problem. And uh, well, things have improved. I think that the way that this has played out over time with different people asking for different terms and different pools popping up over time has created a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the industry and people's minds. And they view deploying HEVC as potentially legally risky. So, you know, this might be a case where a customer would choose to deliver 4K or 8K over HEVC, but not use it for HD content in order to limit their legal liability. The way that patent pools have continued to kind of submarine and pop up over time creates a lot of uh, uncertainty about, is there a prospect for more? Could another pool emerge? And will the licensing situation in the future be more murky? I, I totally agree with Terry that, you know, if if people could just figure out who to pay and how much, uh, the situation would be a lot better. It's not saying people don't want to pay to use this technology. It's just that it seems like the terms and conditions are unclear and change over time. Okay. Um, Walid, do you want to comment about this? Um, I think I think we're on the same page here. I think as uh, like going back to the ROI discussion, I think customers, as long as they know the cost, they can factor it and see actually if it makes sense or not. I think the big damage that all those patent pools are doing is creating actually the risk and the fear factor. And there is no Excel sheet that can goes against the fear. So the fact that, I don't want to name them specifically, but the fact that Velos Media doesn't release public information, the fact that some of the licensee acts are moving from patent to another, it just creates a fear that say something might happen. And while actually some of the fear could even be legit, even on the days on AVC, just the mindset is not the same. AVC is not free either, but no one is putting actually the same 
reasons behind those numbers. And I think the fear is something that will be really hard to overcome. They did some improvement with AV1 when, AV, when they see the fear around AV1, but I think the damage is still there. Yeah, and uh, for AVC, there is a single patent pool. And uh, also... In three years. Yeah, <laughs> m many of them will, will expire. Yeah, expired. Uh, it'll be a, be a royalty-free codec. <laughs> anyway, um, wait, um, do you have any comments on the royalties issue? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly... Um... Maybe not just an elephant, the whole zoo, right? There's a lot of issues tied <laughs> tied, tied, tied together here, yeah. right? So, um, I mean, certainly, I mean, these problems, are, as you mentioned, I think, you, you know, they were similar with AVC, right? And then, you know, for example, some of the VC1 kind of helped, you know, curtail those problems a little bit and let people be a little more reasonable. Um, you know, obviously, this topic has been discussed a lot just in the industry and even in the standardization groups. Um, but this is just a greater, you know, overall kind of uh, ecosystem industry, you know, push and pull to get what, what the right solution is. Because even, you know, from my perspective, you know, even if you look at the standardization process, you know, I'm actively involved in that. And that has changed significantly over the years, right? Where, you know, originally a lot of the folks that were involved, their goal was to finish the standard and deploy products. And now, for example, honestly, the majority of people that are there are interested in inserting their IP. So, you know, recouping that and, um, you know, teams that are built just to do that and, um, you know, becomes an issue then when everyone's grabbing for a limited amount of money. You know, as, as an SOC vendor, I did want to clarify one thing. I think, I think, you know, Mark had asked in terms of we make the codec supports, uh, you know, we make the codecs available uh, for an operator or a device manufacturer, uh, but we actually don't get involved with the, with the patent licensing. Um, that's actually the responsibility of the device manufacturer and operator. So be, you know, in terms of, and we will basically design it to their needs. So I've, I've had a range. I've definitely had some operators say, you know, um, I'm comfortable with HEVC. Um, and as, you know, others had mentioned, it depends on their comfort level, their lawyers, how much they're willing to pay. In general, I agree with the other comment that most operators are willing to pay. They just would like to know how much. And, you know, it depends on your, that their risk assessment. While some other ones are just, you know, they, if they don't know exactly, it has caused them to, to balk at that. And in that case, they look at it as though maybe they'll have the feature, but that will, you know, be a factor into whether they turn it on which is what we discussed a little bit earlier in that, um, you know, the devices may all have the capability, but ultimately, for example, it's when they turn on the services, um, when they actually would be, let's say, exposed. And I think, you know, the, the other aspect was, I mean, it certainly, you know, as the other has certainly has, the royalties have inhibited some of HEPC adoption. I mean, in the devices, as I said, you know, we have enabled that capability, uh, but it hasn't been turned on probably as quickly as people wanted to for MPEG-2 and ABC. Um, but I think what I see also is a lot of expectations probably because it was the next in the line of the great MPEG codecs, MPEG-2, AVC, HEVC. I think some of the expectations were maybe a little too high um, from, from my perspective in that people just thought um, there's some folks that are not involved in the product space that, you know, just think, well, I've got a technology that's 2x compression and, you know, I'm going to refresh all the devices. Um, and it's not that simple as, you know, as, as we've discussed, there's multiple representations, there's, you know, all the, you know, all the software work, all the interoperability work. And, you know, MPEG-2 was very different. It was transitioned to digital video and, you know, that, you know, really accelerated the adoption. Um, ABC, HD. Um, and I think, for example, as you know, as we discussed, there certainly are benefits for HEBC for reduction of bandwidth. But from a purely new, you know, functionality, the biggest things that 
kind of provided were kind of that were different were 4K and HDR, and those are you know those are compelling, right? I mean, technophiles, you know, like people on this call will kind of take a look at things and say, wow, once you see it, you know, you may not go back, but a lot of people, I think, haven't been exposed to the content or wasn't necessarily ready. Yes, the you know television manufacturers had all the 4K devices, but there wasn't a lot of 4K and HDR content, or it wasn't in every single you know format you wanted. Like if you wanted uh, baseball or football or you know whatever, it may not have been ready for someone to look at and go, "I want to go immediately there." Uh, when HEV service first came out, so I think there's some there's some of that too, in that it wasn't a a clear immediate jump that if you didn't do, you were left behind. Okay, you know, Mark, that's uh, very interesting. We're seeing kind of a unanimous um, uh, view here among our uh, panelists that the the patent royalty uncertainty of HEVC is here to stay. And we probably could do another refresh session just on the royalty side, because one of the things that comes to mind is, is it this and Sysful came up with AV1 at VVC, of course, they're working very hard to um, uh, start from a much better position around all this. But the fact of the matter is this isn't just an HEVC issue, right? It is true. There are, there are companies that are a little more either willing to take the risk or able to take the risk or have armies of lawyers. And so they kind of say, okay, you know, come after me and we can defend ourselves. But unfortunately that's a, handful of the industry, small handful. And for the rest of us, uh, we can't do that. And so we end up sort of having to default to the mean. Uh, and the mean is AVC, you know, unfortunately. Um, and the the drawback is, is or, you know, the sad thing to me is the consumer ultimately is losing right, because right. there is a better experience that they can get. You know, now that, um, as Thierry mentioned, you know, the zero rated services, the, uh, you know, the free video streaming services that you can get with um, now, I think pretty much every major wireless carrier in the U.S. where they're capping the streaming bandwidth at a megabit and a half or somewhere in that region, you're only able to watch SD. But with HEVC, you could probably get at least 720p. Yeah. And, and so the consumer is losing. So that's what's really, you know, sad, sad to me. I would like to make one last comment. If you read the news during the pandemic uh, COVID-19 in March, a lot of those OTT providers were basically forced to reduce the bitrate. And had they decided to go the HEVC route, especially for HD, we would not be impacted that way. So I think we all learned our lesson that Reducing the bitrate by 20, 30, 40% is not the way to deal with capacity problem using more modern codec is. And yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. And one of the things, uh, of course, all the services got, uh, you know, got knocked for video quality, et cetera, but I, di I didn't really see too much negative about Netflix. Now, what's super interesting is, is that Netflix, especially for like their four, 4k for their UHD, they have two profiles. So they were simply taking their 15 or their 18 megabit and they were, you know, they lopped that one off and they were just streaming the 10 and 12. Well, HEVC is such a, a, a darn good codec that guess what? At 10 or 12, even 4K, it still looked really good. The video looked good. So to the consumer, they were able 
to uh, you know hear this service um, could comply with the EU regulators and with what they're being asked to do. Meanwhile, the 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 consumer by and large, you know, maybe didn't really notice a big difference. Yeah, and that's a function of an advanced codec. And then you ask yourself, if there's no difference, why didn't we do this before? In the first <laughs> right? place, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things related to the new normal that we ask ourselves. Why didn't we do this before? Why didn't we work yeah. from home before? It it <laughs> it works so well for so many companies that they're asking themselves, what? We wasted billions on office space when people are <laughs> so productive working from home. <laughs> That's amazing. So uh, let's get out the crystal ball uh, drawer. And, um, you know, um, HEVC, it's, it's hard to believe, you know, HEVC is seven years old. Um, AVC is 17 years old, but the point is, is that, uh, codec development is not, you know, it's not static. It, it doesn't kind of get frozen in time. Uh, we now have, you know, MPEG has just ratified, um, recently VVC. We have a couple different variants, uh, with EVC and the new LC EVC, Obviously, AV1, the bitstream was frozen in uh, like 2018, um, and they're even talking about AV2. Uh, so <laughs> the point is, is that there's other codecs coming, and um, I think it'd be really interesting. You know, Ben, I'd, I'd like to start with you. Um, just to just, you know, tell us what what you're hearing, if anything, um, and, uh, you know, just give us a view from the field, so to speak, uh, about these codecs. Sure, sure. You know, I do think AVC will be with us for some time to come. Uh, maybe, you know, concentrated in some markets more than others, but it's, you know, it's it's currently the lingua franca for internet video. Like, uh, it, you know, everything supports it. Um, getting EVC and VVC out there, um, like we know from HEVC, it takes time. Things have to get put in silicon and adopted across different platforms. Licensing has to be sorted. And you have to update the entire ecosystem all the way from, you know, encoding to packagers to players. So I also think LCEVC is a, a really cool and very interesting technical approach to improving codecs. And I, I look forward to seeing if that approach will get traction or not. I'm certainly very interested in it. And I'd finally say, given the, the players involved and the momentum behind AV1 and, you know, perhaps AV2 as its successor, I cannot imagine a universe where in the next three to five years, we don't see some significant adoption of AV1. Yeah, agreed, especially on the browser. You know, it seems pretty clear to me that AV1 is destined to become the browser codec. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Walid, uh, from your perspective, what are what are you hearing? I don't believe AVC will go away. So if we're looking for three, five years, I believe that there will be penetration, higher penetration with HEVC, and AV1 will slightly picking up. There are still challenges, technical challenges of basically the cost of transcode for AV1, etc., that might get in the way. So I think at some point we'll have to look at it use case by use case. So the adoption for mobiles and all OTT services, I think that's where more adoption actually moving forward. So one question, Walid, I know that C-Change primarily your customer base are op service providers, operators, etc. 
is it fair to say that that category is kind of leans heavily or even exclusively towards MPEG, uh, you know, standard codecs? Or are you seeing a, a shift where maybe even they would be interested in something like an AOM AV1 or, or even, you know, something else? Or are they just firmly in the MPEG ISO camp? So historically, I mean, historically, obviously, they were more on the MPEG side. Now, actually, moving forward on the next three to five years, I think the economics and the adoption of the market will tell. There is no specific reason, I will say, that if all the stars aligned, that basically moving to the AV1 will, will not be possible, for example. Today, I don't believe it is. In three or five years, I would say maybe. But I, I mean, there's still, I'm talking about, again, like the adoption of the devices and actually the cost, that's what will decide actually if the service provider or even actually the content provider guys will make the move. Interesting. Okay, cool. Wade, how about you? Uh, you know, as we've highlighted, I think there's a, probably a big difference between, you know, the cost associated with encoding and then what is supported on the decoder side, whether it's a set-top box or another device. I mean, from my perspective, the days of kind of a, a single codec are, are, are in the past in that for, you know, that right now multi-format decoding capability is pretty much expected from any decoder. Um, uh, so, you know, regardless of the adoption of kind of new codecs, I mean, you know, AVC support will still be there. Um, and then in terms of, uh, so I don't see it going away, you know, anytime soon. We mentioned AV1. Um, AV1 is actually another codec that for us is already supported across basically all our chips, especially because of um, services such as YouTube that have, you know, has fully embraced AV1. It's clear that that codec is here to stay already. If anything, for example, you know, we see, we see AV1 like AGVC, it's just in that it's a standard feature requested. It's just, for example, right now, you know, AV1 will be turned on probably, you know, a little bit more just because the, the content that's associated with it is a little bit clearer. Um, so, so moving forward, to, you know, AV1 will definitely be here for the next three or five years. I think the other, the other codecs that we talked about, I mean, VVC, um, you know, Broadcom, again, was very active um, in defining VVC. It's a very interesting technology with, you know, tremendous amount of, you know, uh, compression gain there. Um, since it just got finalized, you know, it'll take a couple of years for it to be in silicon. So um, I think we'll be talking about it probably in about two or three years, much in the same way we're talking about HEVC now, as it will kind of take time. Um, and I think the other codecs, uh, probably to let, you know, whether AB2 or EBC, LTEBC, a little too early to tell uh, whether the industry will really um, adopt those or not. Interesting. I was not aware that AV1 is already in all of your chips or most of them. That's, that's incredible. All right, Thierry. Maybe two comments on my side. First one is on the cost, and we talk about TCO. So if I say AVC has a complexity of one, HEVC encode is about 2x in terms of complexity. So you can expect the cost hardware and software to be in that range. AV1 itself is about 2x compared to HEVC. So if I say AV1 is my baseline is a cost one, a hybrid AVC uh, HEVC is going to be 3x. And a hybrid or you can eat codec AVC HEVC AV1 is going to be 7x. So you know that OTT business model is already challenged with one single codec. If you increase the complexity the cost by 7x, I'm wondering 
who will have the guts to deploy a three-codec system? That would be my first comment. Regarding the future, EVC, VVC, LCVC, AV2, AVS3, those are wonderful technology. Uh, my company's position is show me the licensing terms first, and I will tell you if I have appetite to go after all those wonders. Interesting. So again, we're with the uh, licensing terms, patent royalties, all of that to determine the adoption of those um, of those codecs. Maybe one more question to Wade. You you mentioned that uh, you know when VVC will be more mature, uh, you will put it um, in silicon. Um, customers will request it, but are you sure customers will request it? And do you make any considerations such as what if I put this um, relatively large piece of silicon IP in my chip and then it hardly gets used? Is that economical? So a couple aspects to that, right? One is that um, I don't th- I don't think it's a secret now that for multi-format decoding, you don't actually put in a core for each codec, right? right. right? I mean, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of um, subtlety yeah. and a lot of right, right, a lot of engineering involved in trying to make a single core. And obviously, you have to add in some area and some design costs for each particular codec. So, um, in some respects, it's not you know doubling the size. You know, you know, I choose two x the area just because you're supporting a certain codec. Um, it's more about, for example, the resolution that you're supporting. Obviously, if you need to process HD or 4K or something like that, that's actually a much bigger determinant than the, than the codec. Um, I think, you know, you ask a good question. I mean, obviously there's no guarantees if there was a, you know, if I knew, you know, it completely would take over the market and everything like that, probably I'd be in marketing rather than engineering, right? <laughs> you know, no one good point. can say for sure, right? <laughs> so, but I, I think, you know, for, for, for VVC, right, um, you know, as, as discussed, kind of we enable um, our, our customers and the operators to kind of decide, you know, the best thing that matches their trade-offs, which could involve compression efficiency, um, cost, licensing, right, legacy platforms, et cetera, et cetera. I think VVC is an interesting one in that, you know, that is clearly the state of the art in terms of coding efficiency. So if you want to do, um, let's say you want to do 8K or even if you want to do 4K at the lowest bit rate, um, that's the most advanced technology. It will be kind of a fragmented market and people will have different services. So, you know, we envision someone is going to say, hey, I want to deliver things and I'm, I'm, I'm okay, you know, I'm going to figure out the licensing, et cetera. I want to deliver, you know, the best, the best video at the lowest amount of bits, right? And I think so that's an option there. And another, you know, certainly there are other options to deal with licensing. So, for example, like AV1. So, I mean, those are the kind of decisions that we take a look at and see. I mean, certainly nothing is guaranteed, um, at least for our customers in terms of, you know, they, they, they want that flexibility. And, you know, um, it also costs a lot to make chips, right? And that you, so you have to kind of find a common ground to, um, you know, support different customers. Um, so that's, that, those are all added to the balance. And that's where, you know, you know, you, now you have different, um, you know, with, between VVC and EVC and HEVC, you've got all these different points in, the, in there. And, you know, those are the type of things that we kind of consider before deciding what really goes on to our roadmap. Okay. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for this uh, really amazing panel. You've brought some uh, very interesting insights I think uh, to to our audience, and it will be very much uh, appreciated, I'm sure. So uh, thank you again for uh, uh, coming on uh, the podcast, and I'm sure, Mark, that in uh, 
a few months, we'll probably um, can meet again and revisit where we are uh, with all of these codecs. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I want to echo what Dror said. Um, you know, thank you for, for all the comments. Uh, and I know that you all brought so much value. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.